Welcome to Caregiver SOS On Air, presented by the WellMed Charitable Foundation with nationally known gerontologist Carol Zernio and veteran broadcaster and attorney Ron Aaron. This program provides health, wellness, and other information for caregivers who are vital to the health and well-being of so many people across our country. Now, here are your hosts, Ron Aaron and Carol Zernio. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to Caregiver SOS On Air. I'm Ron Aaron, our co-host, Carol Zerniel, on special assignment today. So it is just me welcoming our very special guest, Mary Daniel. Mary had an interesting experience that taught her a lot about how to become an effective caregiver, how to stand up for the rights of caregivers and for those who are care recipients. And we're going to share that with you as well. Her husband, Steve, was diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease in 2013. He was only 59. He's been a resident at Rose Castle at Deerwood Memory Care in Jacksonville since July 2019. In July of 2020, Mary earned national attention, not something she was seeking, after taking a job as a dishwasher at Rose Castle so she could also spend time with Steve. They'd been separated for 114 days during the lockdown due to COVID-19. Out of that experience, Mary founded the Facebook group Caregivers for Compromise, and we'll tell you about that in in just a few minutes. One sidebar to Mary, she is a volunteerist, a puppy raiser for Canines for Warriors. She has her fifth service dog in training, Riggs, a golden doodle, who will complete his training in late 2022. She'll say goodbye to him, and my guess is welcome another puppy. Well, Mary Daniel, thanks so much for joining us. I'm happy to be here. Thank you so much. Well, we'll talk a little bit about puppies and raising dogs to help warriors uh, in a little bit. But let's get to the meat of the story, because uh, what you did at a time when across this country, literally thousands of caregivers for their care recipients, often their loved ones who are in memory units or in assisted living or nursing homes faced, they couldn't see them anymore. What did you do about it? I panicked at first. Uh, I had promised Steve when he was diagnosed with Alzheimer's that I would never leave him alone, that I would be by his side every single day, that I would hold his hand every step of the way. And I wasn't able to do that when the lockdown happened in March of 2020. So I immediately called the corporate office of his facility and said, this is not going to work for me. I need to get in there. Um, I asked if I could get a job then. And they said, this is just temporary, no need to panic. Um, this is going to be over in, in the 15 days to slow the curve and, and uh, we were all going to be okay. But the days turned to weeks and the weeks turned to months and I started getting very vocal. I wanted to talk to the governor. That's what I really wanted to do. I wanted to share with him what isolation was doing to dementia patients in particular. So that was my number one goal. We'll talk a bit about isolation Uh, and dementia, because it's really important for folks to understand isolation isn't good for anybody. Is it especially harmful to dementia patients? It is. Um, Steve is not vocal. He speaks, but you can't understand anything that he says. So for us to have uh, even conversations over the phone is useless. He can't understand me. He doesn't uh, respond appropriately. He doesn't understand cognitively what I'm saying to him. He understands the human touch. He understands me rubbing his back, holding his hand, um, giving him a hug. That's how he knows that I'm there. That's how he feels that love. And I knew 
watching him through a window. He lost 10 pounds in the first month. Um, and I knew he would kiss the iPad. He didn't know how to, he didn't know what that was for. He didn't understand that. So those things were, were helpful for many people. They're not helpful for dementia patients because they just can't communicate as well. And so you pursued a job at the living facility so you could see him. Correct. I, right. I, I had asked for it early on. Um, I started, I had a local reporter pick up the story here to start talking about isolation and the corporate office of his facility saw that story, <clears throat> those stories, and actually called me out of the blue in June of 2020 and said, you still want a job? And I said, I do. And they said, we have a part-time job available if you want it. I said, I'll take it. And then I said, what is it? And they said, it's a dishwasher. And I said, then dishwashing it is. I don't think they actually thought I was going to take it. Um, I think there was a, you know, they were just going to offer it to me and then they could sort of cross that off the list. And you could go away. But I didn't, correct. But I did take it. Um, and I started my first shift on July 3rd of 2020. And how did you work in seeing Steve while you were there? They told me that when I was in the building that I was allowed to see him after my shift. I was not allowed to go in any other time. It was only two days a week. But at that point, I the thought of being with him for two days was, you know, was a whole lot better than than none. And it had been 114 days since I had actually touched him. So that first day, you know, what my argument was um, to anyone that would listen, what exactly am I saving him from or saving him for? I mean, he is dying and and he his best day is today, not tomorrow, not a week from now, not a year from now. What what am I saving him from dying? I can't save him from dying. He needs me today. And so I fought very hard to get back from him. My fear was that during this period of time, he would forget me or obviously because of the decline of the dementia, not know me anymore. And so on that very first day when I finished my shift and I walked in the room, his back was to me when I walked in the door and he turned around and the first thing he said was Mary. Wow. Yeah, it was an amazing and it was an amazing moment. And we hugged and I cried and he, I mean, it was really, really something special. I had gotten back to him in time and uh, it wasn't, I wasn't too late. Now hold that thought. We'll come right back to you. I want to let people know who may have just joined us. You're listening to Caregiver SOS on air. I'm Ron Aaron, our co-host Carol Zerniel on special assignment. So it is me talking today with our very special guest, Mary Daniel, and her response to the sequester of COVID-19 I told you off the air, Mary, I want to share a story about a neighbor of mine, uh, a fellow named Jimmy, whose wife was in a memory care unit, also with Alzheimer's. And he got a letter uh, from the management company that said uh, family was no longer permitted to visit uh, because of COVID-19. And they had to do that because only essential care could be provided to those in the facility. His response was very much like yours. I gave essential care. I did for her what nobody in that facility could do. And rather than uh, uh, sit and take it, he threatened a lawsuit. He said, you know, I'm going to war on this. And they decided rather than go to court and and fight a battle that uh, he probably would have won, they let him in. Uh, And it made such a big difference for him as well as for his wife. Uh, And it's an example of just you and, in this case, Jimmy, Uh, not standing by uh, while they were uh, denied access to their loved ones. 
you know, I tell caregivers, I mean, I speak a lot to caregivers and, and my message to them is sometimes we have to boldly advocate for our loved ones. And that's what that is, boldly advocating. And so it's one of the things that our group does is our mantra is educate yourself so that you can educate them. And many times it is the administration of these facilities who believe that they can make their own rules and they can't. And so we have to be educated enough to explain to them what the rules are, why they're not following them. In fact, just before I got on this this call, I got a, in the Facebook group, um, a message from a woman saying that I am being denied access to my child in a hospital because the child has COVID. Well, Florida has a new law that says no one can be denied. I say no one, no one, no patient can be denied an essential caregiver visitor, which certainly a parent would be considered. And thankfully in Florida, we have a law that went into effect July the 1st that allows uh, her to call the Agency for Healthcare Administration here and fight back. We have to boldly advocate. And sometimes that means filing complaints, filing lawsuits, whatever we have to do so that we can look back on this with no regrets. Tell me about your Facebook group, Caregivers for Compromise. Uh, How did you get it going? What was your concept and how's it working? When I got the job as the dishwasher, uh, my local reporter did a story of that right after I got out of the out of my first shift. Um, And that story went viral, like all over the United States viral. So I was getting messages from people all over the United States who were saying, I'm in the same boat as you. What can we do? This is awful. I'm watching my mother die through a window. Um, and so I knew I had to do something to bring us together. And so I started the care, the Facebook group called Caregivers for Compromise because isolation kills too. And as soon as we started the, the national group, it grew like wildfire. We now have 14,000 members in that group. We also realized every state is different. So we opened up a chapter in every single state. So there is a Florida Caregivers for Compromise, a Georgia Caregivers for Compromise. I have a number of states. My Texas group is amazing. Mary Nichols runs that group in New York, in Illinois, in North Carolina, Kentucky. We have amazing groups that are advocating for different changes in the laws of their in particular state. So it was really twofold. One, to advocate for new laws. And the other one is just to be there to support each other, to know what it was like to have to look at our, win- our, our loved ones through a window, to be supportive of each other and have a place to go where you can be heard by other people that are experiencing the same thing. You mentioned Georgia. You're a bulldog for life, right? I am a bulldog. National champion bulldog, might I add. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's true. Are they going to repeat? I believe they are. I'll be in Atlanta a week from Saturday when we play Oregon to get it started. So I sure hope so. That'd be a lot of fun. Well, share with me some of the issues that come up on the Facebook, because it's not just denial of visitation that caregivers face when trying to care for someone in a facility. It is. We really run the gamut of people that are affected by different rules and regulations regarding COVID and, and resulting in in that isolation. And so the the support that people receive vary depending upon their particular situation. And so it's super helpful that no matter what is happening to you and your loved one that's that has a, has something to do with visitation, COVID lockdowns, legislation regarding that, we can help you. And it's it goes back to that mantra I mentioned earlier. It's all about educating yourself so that you can educate them. And that them changes. It was the administrators 
sometimes still is the administrators of the facilities. It's also legislators. We have a we have a federal bill right now, the Essential Caregiver Act, HR three seven three three, and we are meeting individually. We're doing Zoom calls with every representative's uh, help aide and having a, a, a member from their their a constituent um, actually talk to them and share the personal experiences of what the COVID lockdowns did to them and so it did to their family members. So we're working to educate legislators on what this looks like. And it takes personal stories. You have to hear the personal stories. You have to hear the stories of neglect because what you said at the beginning is very, very true. I did things for my husband. Like tonight, I will go and visit with him in the evening. I get him ready for bed. When I get there, the staff no longer has to worry about him. I will take care of him until he's asleep. And so I'm there to help them to supplement their care and to really be an essential caregiver for him and do things that really other people can't do. And so it's really important that there is a differentiation. I'm not a visitor. I am an essential caregiver and I am there to be with him and and help the staff provide the best care possible for him. Now, stay with me just a minute. We're going to come right back to you. And I want to go back to the beginning. Your husband was diagnosed fairly early on with Alzheimer's. I want to find out from you how that happened, how that began, and how you found yourself a caregiver. I'm Ron Aaron. You're listening to Caregiver SOS on air. The WellMed Charitable Foundation would like to remind you it is important to stay connected while social distancing. Caregiver stress may be higher now, and specialists are available to talk with. There's no question that we are living in not normal times, but whether the new normal will be the old normal is yet to be seen. So if you are troubled, if you are feeling stressed, ask for help. Services are provided at no cost. See more at caregiversos.org. Hello. We're so pleased you were with us here on Caregiver SOS On Air. I'm Ron Aaron. Carol Zerniel, our co-host on special assignment today. I'm talking with Mary Daniel. She is a caregiver and not your run-of-the-mill sit-on-the-backbench caregiver, but a caregiver activist. She founded a very special Facebook group, Caregivers for Compromise, and we'll tell you how you can sign up for that. Uh, she was an advocate when COVID prevented people from visiting their loved ones in memory units and uh, specialty hospitals. She went to work in that facility so she could hang out with her husband. A pretty neat story. Mary, your husband diagnosed at age 59 uh, with Alzheimer's disease. What were you seeing and how did that diagnosis come about? It was really confusion. He was a traveling salesman. He sold Florida's natural orange juice and was really good at it. Um, Steve was very, very personable, loved building relationships with people, making friends, literally one of those guys that just never met a stranger. Um, And he was, I was seeing signs of confusion. I actually asked him on two different occasions, are you confused? You seem confused. And he said, yes. What were the signs you were seeing? Just things like directions and not knowing the time, you know, coming and going in a normal day. Um, Things, just things that didn't, they weren't necessarily wrong. It just was very abnormal that he was asking questions about things that he should have known about. Um, the real kicker was um, when he went to the wrong city for a, for a conference. 
Oh. Um, he went to all kinds of different conferences across the United States. And he called me one day and I could tell immediately there was fear in his voice that he got to the, the hotel and no one was there. He got the date wrong and it really scared him. And that was the first day that we actually decided maybe we need to go see somebody about this. And uh, we live in Jacksonville. The Mayo Clinic is here. And so we made an appointment uh, with a neurologist to see him uh, at Mayo Clinic. And what did they tell you? They diagnosed it NCI, mild cognitive impairment, um, which is uh, we learned later was the, the gateway, the, the, the door that opens into all, becomes Alzheimer's. Um, we enrolled in a study. He was in a, a three-year study um, for, was taking an infusion of an experimental drug. So we spent time um, at Mayo Clinic quite a bit. And it was there that I mentioned to the doctor one day that he had gotten a 90-day um, probation from work. Very unusual. I didn't see him work. Um, I worked out of the office. He was either out of the home in an office. He was either at home or he was on the road. And that was a real eye-opener for the doctor. And he told us on that day, um, he needs to retire. He's obviously having difficulty, logistics, orders, those sorts of things. Um, and so he actually had me call his boss and tell his boss. And his boss said to me, oh, my gosh, Mary, this explains so much. Wow. Uh, so he went on long-term disability at the age of 60. Um, and, I mean, it's been a long road. It's been nine years. Um, he was just recently placed in hospice care. So we are, we are um, nearing the end, but you know, the thing about Alzheimer's is the end is nobody knows. I mean, you know, it's, it's a, it's, it's really truly the saddest thing I've ever seen. Well, was Nancy Reagan saying the long goodbye? The very, very long goodbye. Yeah. What did his boss say to you when you called him? When he said that this explains so much that he had obviously seen so many things that were happening to Steve, getting orders wrong, getting deliveries wrong, those kinds of things with no explanation. Um, Which had never happened before. Correct. Correct. And so knowing that there was a dementia diagnosis truly explained the mistakes that they were seeing, the problems. And I can't imagine it was it really was sad to me because I the the stress that he was under um, that, that I didn't even realize. And maybe he didn't even realize that he was struggling um, I, I will tell you one of the blessings of this disease is that Steve has never had any real insight into the fact that he has Alzheimer's. And that's a huge, today he has no idea that he has Alzheimer's. He doesn't know what COVID is. He doesn't know what, uh, that I was a dishwasher. And so that, that truly is a blessing that he lives a very peaceful life, um, but it's a very sad life for me to watch. You became a caregiver. Was that something you had ever thought about? I, I actually have been a caregiver for most of my adult life. Um, my grandmother died when I was a senior in college. I moved home to be with my mother to care for her. Um, she died at home. And then six weeks later, my mother's best friend, who was my godmother, also died at our home of, of uh, breast cancer. We used hospice in both of those instances. So it has really been sort of just part of my nature. My mother taught us, you know, that you have to step up and do the things that you have to do. I actually became a, a, a patient advocate by trade. When, when Steve came home um, and stopped working and as he progressed, I knew I needed to stop working in an office. I have managed medical practices the majority of my career. And I started um, a, a practice of being a, actually, believe it or not, there is something called a board certified patient advocate. Um, my specialty is medical billing. I help people in the medical billing world. But it's also about navigating the healthcare system. And so those things really go hand in hand. I mean, I, many people have said to me, 
you know, Mary, you know, you've worked your whole life to really sort of be in this place where I am today, where I'm able to lead um, other caregivers um, and empower other caregivers with the experience that I have and with the knowledge that I have about the healthcare system. And no, you know what? I don't have to take no for an answer. We can fight back. It's interesting because so many people, when you get a medical bill, and I'm in that category. The other day, I got a bill uh, from a local hospital, and I, I called and I said, can you explain what this is? And they said, oh, we'll, we'll send you an explanation. And what they sent me is what they sent me in the first place, which made no sense to me. And I'm a lawyer. It's not like I'm not educated. I have built a very successful business fighting back with medical bills. The majority of people don't know what they're doing. There's not a whole lot of education in that world and they'll, they're mistakes. They're and what the hell they're going to, they'll send them to you and see what happens. Maybe you'll pay them. Maybe you won't. So many times we just simply call and just push back and they say, okay, never mind. We'll just write it off. Wow. So it's, it's, it's been a great, it's hugely satisfying to be able to help so many people um, across the whole United States with their medical bills. And it's just part of the same, it's the same world, however, is as boldly advocating and as being a patient advocate of just pushing back to say, you know, I know better. I know we can do better. These are the things we need to do. And that's really led to, for, certainly in the state of Florida, for me, the governor getting, you know, my, my work got the governor's attention. He appointed me to a task force to reopen long-term care in 2020. And I just worked with his office to pass this new bill that went into effect for us July the 1st that gives um, not only long-term care facilities, but hospitals must allow essential caregiver uh, uh, visitors in their facilities, no matter what the medical emergency is. So we've really been able to make some real significant change. And, And what is the caregiver federal legislation you were talking about? It's a, it's a HR 3733. It's called the Essential Caregivers Act. And it says that every patient and every resident should be able to have two essential caregivers following the same safety guidelines as staff go into facilities and visit even in the middle of a health emergency. It doesn't name COVID. It, we're not specifically talking about COVID, but we're talking about like uh, health emergencies like right. COVID because what we have found is facilities now know they have the power. They have the power to shut the doors, and they do. We had a we had a facility in New Smyrna Beach recently shut their doors for two weeks. They said patients confined to their rooms twenty four seven for an outbreak of scabies. Okay, that's kidding. never been done before. Why would they do that? Because they have the power to do it. I wow. think they want to do it because they don't want us to see that they're understaffed. They don't want us to see that they're not handling the situation well. Um, there there are things that they want to hide. That's the only thing that I can possibly think of. It's interesting that uh, uh, you're able to rattle their cage and do so effectively because you stood up for your husband and for his rights. Not enough of us do that, Mary Daniel. I hope to empower more and more people to do it all over the United States. And so far, that's going pretty well. Tell us about how we can get involved with your Facebook Caregivers for Compromise. Every state has one. So my first thing, uh, my first suggestion would be to join the state group. You can just do a search for your state. Florida Caregivers for Compromise, and we will be there. Please join. Um, The other is our national group, and it is just Caregivers for Compromise. We also have a website with all of that information. It's caregivers4compromise.com. And what will we see when we go there? A lot of information about what we're doing. Uh, um, Links to every Facebook state group, pictures of our advocacy, information about the bills in certain states, information about the federal bill. It's full of information. 
Now, you end up doing this 24-7. What do you do for yourself? How do you care for Mary Daniel? Um, that's a very good question. This is a, that's, you know how that is in caregiver world. We kind of forget about that. I do take care of my, I I enjoy having puppies, um, from canines for warriors. I have raised five. I'm on my fifth puppy who's about to graduate. Um, so that they've been great for me to have. Um, and, um, I have, I have an amazing supportive family and group of friends here, um, that I've known my whole life. Um, I'm very, very fortunate to have backup. Um, and I have great, Steve has three children and three grandchildren that I feel we've been married 27 years. So they're stuck with wow. me at this point too. So how do you give up your golden doodle and say goodbye? You get to meet the veteran who's going to get him. And that does it. When I know he's got something else to do besides be down here at my feet <laughs> uh, while I work, he's got a real life to save. And I've seen that uh, now four different times and it makes it pretty easy. Well, I really, really appreciate you joining us, Mary Daniel. I'm sure folks will check out that Facebook page, Facebook for Caregivers. They'll go to your website. And good luck with Steve, who's now in hospice. Thanks, Mary. Thank you. Mary Daniel, we really appreciate it. This has been Caregiver SOS On Air. For Carol Zerniel, I'm Ron Aaron. We'll talk with you again soon. Executive producers for Caregiver SOS On Air are Carol Zerniel and Ron Aaron. Our associate producer is Christy Romero. I'm Ron Aaron. We'll see you next week on Caregiver SOS On Air. You've been listening to Caregiver SOS On Air, an exclusive presentation of the WellMed Charitable Foundation. We welcome emails with suggestions and comments on this program at radio at wellmed.net. Join co-hosts Carol Zerniel and Ron Aaron next week for more on caregiving, improving the health and well-being of caregivers and their care recipients everywhere. For more on caregiving and podcasts of our programs, visit caregiversos.org.